continuing with our series of messages on the Beatitudes and the larger series on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached is how we're describing it, and I think you would agree with that. Take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's been a, a while since we've been in this series because of needing to depart from it for a communion for the Lord's table on a Sunday, and then, the, of course, the celebration of the incarnation of our blessed Lord and Savior during the month of December. We make no apology for that, but um, it's been a little bit of a break, so I hope we'll get our minds back in gear as we come to this eighth and last beatitude, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the persecuted. All of these beatitudes form a composite picture of the holy life of a believer. In fact, if you had to put a real succinct caption on the beatitudes, you couldn't do better than this. Happy are the holy. Happy are the holy. To be poor in spirit, to be meek, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, peaceable. You can't do that. Are you listening? You can't do that unless you're under attack for it. And that's what brings us to the last beatitude. Blessed are the persecuted. But we'll get a running start. And let's just read all of the beatitudes here. It doesn't take long to cover them. Beginning in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, when he was seated, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And the next three verses are what we'll focus on again today. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. These are the Beatitudes. The greatest sermon ever preached began with the greatest blessings ever pronounced. These eight blessings known as the Beatitudes. And the tenth one, or the eighth one, the final one, is the one that says, blessed are the persecuted. Now let's be honest, that's an oxymoron. At least it sounds like it. When you hear that word persecution, I would venture to say your first reaction is ugh, not whoopee. And it's easy to focus on the unpleasant aspects of persecution. The suffering, the sacrifices, the reproach of Christ, alienation from the world and from friendships, 
The loss of things like our wealth and reputation. And Paul just gave a whole catalog of the things he gave up for Christ in the book of Philippians. Yeah, we, we, we tend to focus on those things. But in this last beatitude, Christ goes on at great length to emphasize that the persecuted believer should rejoice and be exceeding glad. And that's a command, folks. Do you really believe that His commands are His enablements? Because they are. And so today, I hope we'll prepare ourselves to, as Elizabeth Elliot used to say so well, embrace with both hands the inevitable persecution promised to those who live godly in Christ Jesus, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Now, how can we do that? Let's be honest. Let's have open ears and hearts, acknowledging we can't do this in our own strength. How can we rejoice in the face of dire persecution, which if it hasn't come yet, hold on, it's just around the corner. We talked about in the first sermon back in the early part of December that the persecution we face is so blind, it's madness, it's irrational. Then we talked about how it can take so many different forms, as Jesus outlined here. It can be verbal abuse, it can be physical and psychological cruelty, it can be character assassination, all manner of evil. So it brings me to the third point of the outline, if you're keeping up with it, when we started back in December, the mirth, the joy of the persecuted. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. That the word in the Greek means literally to skip, to jump like a, a goat or a sheep that's a little frolicking in the pasture. And again, I say this is not something we can do in our own flesh. Only God can enable us to respond this way. As Jesus told Nicodemus, a very high-ranking ruler of, of the Pharisees, a very religious man, he said, that which is born of the flesh is still flesh. We cannot make ourselves Christians. You're either a God-made Christian or you're still lost in your sins. We're doubly blessed. When we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, we are doubly blessed. The eighth and the last beatitude here really stands out from the others in each of the other seven that we've already examined at length and devoted at least one message to each. The word blessed is found one time at the beginning of the, uh, of the, of the statement, and then there's a, a, a blessing, a promise pronounced, but the word blessed is only found once. But here it's found no less than three times. The English word blessed is found twice in connection with this last beatitude, but in the Greek it's actually three times. Isn't that something? The persecuted believer is doubly and triply blessed. Now look at these verses again, and do you see any significant change between verse 10 and verse 11? You grammar experts, I hope you can. It, in verse 10, it says, blessed are they. In verse 11, it says, blessed are what? Ye. Ah. Changes pronouns. The persecution is no longer general. It's personal. It's even more pronounced when Jesus said, for my sake or because of me. 
So let's look at this a little bit more in depth. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Verse 10. It's easy to talk about the great believers of the past that have been willing to be persecuted. It's easy to talk about Daniel and Lion's Den. Some of the youngest children, most of them have gone out, the young ones, but I mean, they, they've heard that story. Sometimes that's the one they, they request. They want to hear it again. Daniel and the Lion's Den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego in the burning fiery furnace. Joseph in prison in Egypt. Uh, Jeremiah sinking and drowning almost in the mire in which he was placed. Stephen being stoned to death, one of the early martyrs of the church in the New Testament. Paul and Silas being beaten and, and, placing, and being placed in the stocks there in prison at Philippi. It's easy to hear those stories, even though we love to hear them perhaps, and to say, ah, oh, well, that's to an, relegated to an era long gone. Those are the super saints. But Jesus says, blessed are ye. Persecution is going to come to you. These examples are not remote and atypical, easy to believe because of, with the benefit of hindsight. Yes, little old you, little old me, that feel we're no heroes, that feel we're no stellar saints, no big martyrs. Jesus said, blessed are you. Let's take it personally. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Jesus turns the spotlight on us. Did you know in a very real sense, we often talk about how the book of Acts has not been finished yet because the acts of the Holy Spirit are still going on. There's going to be a 29th chapter. All kinds of organizations have been called that. Acts 29. Did you know in a very real sense, Hebrews chapter 11 has not been finished yet? There are going to be more martyrs and confessors and persecuted saints that are going to rank high in the kingdom of God. In fact, there have been more martyrs so far in the 21st century than at any other comparable period in history. Just in the country of Nigeria last year, thousands of believers slain for their faith. And Jesus says to us, blessed are you. When you go through the crucible of trial, blessed are you when they laugh at you on the job for not joining in with their loose talk and their dirty jokes in the break room or at the water fountain. Blessed are you when you take slander and abuse for Christ's sake. Blessed are you when, like Moses, you receive the reproach of Christ and you consider it greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. You think that the reproach of Christ is, is better than the best that the world has to give you. Blessed are you. Do we take that personally and do we take it as a present reality? Do we realize that even now we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us, though we be accounted as sheep for the slaughter? though we're disposable as far as the world is concerned, though we're going to be blamed for what goes wrong, mark my word. Even now, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul enumerates that. Neither persecution, he means that, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, height, depth, death, life, any other created thing. Can you read those verses and come away and honestly say to yourself, Blessed am I.
because Jesus wants you to take it that personally. We are richly rewarded. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Stop. There are those, and I I do not know of any in our church, so please don't think I've been reading your emails or anybody's been snitching, squealing on you. There are those who scoff at the idea of being motivated by rewards. They say very piously that the Christian life should be lived for its own sake, that we should be motivated neither by the fear of hell or enticed by the glories of heaven. How would you respond to that? Sounds pretty pious. Only problem is it's unscriptural. The Bible clearly says in Hebrews 11 verse 26 that the reason Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible is, are you listening, he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Was Moses fleshly and immature? Were his motives ulterior? I don't think so. What about our Savior Himself? The Bible says that He endured the cross, despising the shame, and how was He able to do that, according to the writer to the Hebrews? For the joy that was set before Him. Jesus took the long look. Jesus focused on the superior, transcendent joys of the eternal realm. Let's get this settled in our minds and hearts. Which brings us to the even more fundamental question, what is this reward? What is this reward Jesus is talking about? I'll be honest with you, the Bible says very little about the exact nature of it. We do read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe, first of all, that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But we just have to leave the reward to God and believe that He will reward us. Honestly, it's impossible to conceive of the exact nature of that reward on this side of heaven. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this verse is quoting from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. The Apostle Paul knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. I wish I did. I'm trying. But quoting from that magnificent portion of Scripture, Paul says in verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. In, in, in the source, the original source there, Isaiah 64, it says, Them that wait on Him. Now, I understand the context. I don't want to take a terror verse from its home. The context here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking about the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He's not really talking about heaven. I know this verse is used all kinds of times, and I've done it. I have not seen or heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them that love him in heaven. Well, it's really talking about the illumination of the Holy Spirit. But the principle holds true for heaven holds true for the rewards that are on the other side that we can scarcely imagine. The Bible just describes them with such words as joy unspeakable, brightness, glory, 
glorious, wonder, blessedness. It talks about singing. I, I don't know what kind of music it is, but it's going to be better than anything we've ever heard. And if it's better than what we have here, boy, it's going to be good. Can we just believe that the rewards that are in heaven are better than anything we can imagine? Can that motivate us? I hope so. Would you allow a personal word of reflection here? I had a little experience of this 18 or so years ago. When, as many of you know, especially those who were here at the time, I lost my first wife. And I was a widower for more than a year. I became convinced that God wanted me to remarry. I did not date any other lady than the one who became my wife and who's here today. And I got to where I tried to imagine what she would be like. What would her personality be like? What would her hair color be like? What would she, what would be the tone of her voice? What range of voice would she have? Just things you ordinarily think of. And I was reading Isaiah 64, verse 4, and I came to the conclusion that God leaves the best to those that leave the choice with Him, that wait upon Him, and I could not even conceive of what she would be like. And God just gave a peace that came over me, that He would give me the best, the, the wife that was most ideal, and suitably adapted for me, better than anything I could imagine. And I'm here to tell you today, that's exactly what happened with that lady sitting over there. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to score brownie points with her. Although I hope she appreciates it, but anyway... <laughs> Beloved, if we meekly and submissively endure the persecution that comes our way for Christ's sake, I'm here to tell you this morning, we will be rewarded in ways that far exceed anything we can imagine in heaven. And when you read the book of Revelation, it has to say, as and like, even the physical things that are described, because the reality is so, so far exceeds the figure. It's hard to imagine streets of gold. It's hard to imagine gates of one huge pearl. Yes, there will be golden crowns, there will be glittering jewels, there will be mansions, there will be white robes, but I'm telling you, the main thing is to keep in mind, as John said in his first epistle, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We can't imagine it. We're so earthbound, we, we can only understand what we see through our physical senses, senses, but what awaits us on the other side in heaven far exceeds anything we could take in through our senses. Are we okay with that? Does that motivate us? Paul said that to depart and to be with Christ is far better. <laughs> That's enough for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So let's do away with this poppycock that says that we shouldn't be focused on rewards. We need to be assured of present rewards. Jesus said, in connection with His first beatitude, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, there in verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, now we come full circle in the beatitudes, okay? That was the very promise associated with the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Same thing. For theirs is 
the kingdom of heaven. When we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and not for being an evildoer or a rabble-rouser, we give proof that we are in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is ours now. We love righteousness for its own sake, not just for the sake of any outward advantage. I remind you, as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, even now we are reigning in life. And he told the saints in the wicked city of Corinth, they needed to hear this, they were encouraged by it. He said, all things are now yours. He told the Corinthians that. In fact, I'd like you to see that for yourself. Would you take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. I mentioned this in, in the message about uh, the being poor in spirit, but that was a good while ago, and I think we need to re- repeat some things. Therefore let no man, verse 21, therefore let no man glory in men, for all things, Paul said, are yours. And then he enumerated what he meant, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All things are yours. Even Paul and Apollos, and Peter, the leaders in the church, the pillars, Paul said, they belong to you. And again, I'll say, as I said several months ago, as pastor of this church, I belong to you. God has given me spiritual gifts and callings, and then He gave me to you. I don't belong to anybody else outside of God. I'm just the errand boy to relay the word to you. Once I've done that, it's between you and God. I'm not the king. I'm not the pope. I'm not a dictator. I'm not to lord it over God's heritage. I'm just God's ambassador on business for my king. I'm yours. Then Paul said, the world is yours. Paul expressed this seeming paradox between poverty of spirit and and yet having all things so well, he said of himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. He talked about that. He said, I, I've learned in all things, all manners of conditions to be content. I can do without. I can be naked and hungry in prison, or I can feast on filet mignon. I don't make a fuss about it. Beloved, we cannot possess the world until we've been mastered by Christ. And He is the one who created everything, and by virtue of the fact that He's Creator, He owned everything, and yet when He was here in the flesh for 33 and a half years, He had to borrow a donkey in which to ride into the city of Jerusalem. He had to borrow a a manger in which to be born. He had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. The world is ours, though it may look like it belongs to the celebrities and the rich folks. Paul said, life is yours. I already talked about that, how we are reigning in life. Don't ever say, I'm doing pretty good for being under the circumstances. No, the Christian has no business being under the circumstances. We need to be reigning in life. Paul said, death is yours. 
Remember, Christ took the sting out of death when He arose from the dead, and He proved by His resurrection that He is Lord both of the dead and of the living. On the cross, He crushed the serpent's head, being the seed of the woman. He destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Beloved, we belong, are you listening? We belong neither to life nor to death. We belong to Christ. Make no mistake about it. And even now, we're enjoying the presence of Jesus. Do you think the same Jesus, who was the form of the fourth in the burning fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you think He's there for us when we're called upon to go through the purifying flames? Oh, yes. You've heard it said so many times before. Nebuchadnezzar only saw three men come out, step out. That suggests that Jesus is there for us. We're assured of a present reward by having the presence of Jesus with us in our persecution. We are assured of future reward, as, as Jesus went on to say, for great is your reward in heaven. Okay, that puts a new wrinkle. That's talking about the future. Paul told his protege, his understudy, Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, in his last letter to him, when the shadow of the guillotine was cast over the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, he said, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Paul was worried about Timothy. Timothy had been through a lot. Timothy was a sensitive soul. People had left the church there where Timothy was pastoring. People had uh, uh, renounced the faith. They had apostatized. If you, if you really read that second epistle to Timothy, you'll see the concern that, that Paul had for Timothy. And so he's writing Timothy to encourage him. This is the last recorded letter we have of the Apostle Paul before he was executed. And he's saying this, in effect. He's saying, Timothy, living for Christ is worth it. Sure, it may seem tough right now, and it may even get tougher. But in the broad scheme of things, in the light of eternity, our suffering here is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. As he told the Corinthians, for our light affliction, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, I say to you what Paul was saying to Timothy, take the long look. Don't just take a snapshot of the present. And on those last two points, let me just wrap it up with a summary by saying this. Why can the persecuted saint be joyful? Not just glad, but exceeding glad, as Jesus said and commanded us. Basically, two reasons. I hope you'll jot this down. I hope this will be a help. This is not on the outline. This is extra. You didn't have to pay for this one. How can we rejoice? How can we be exceeding glad? Here it is. First of all, it is proof. Our persecution, for Christ's sake, is proof of who we are. We belong to Christ. We're not suffering because of our politics or our preferences or our personality that may rub some people the wrong way. We have identified with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are not greater than our Master. Whatever happened to Him, we expect to happen to us. If He's not welcome, neither are we. We have identified with our Lord, and though people may not realize it, it is because they hate Jesus that they hate us. 
We will not have this king to be ruler over us, and because we do have that king to be ruler over us, they hate us. Are we okay with that? Because if we're not, we don't realize what a backhanded compliment that is. We can rejoice when we're persecuted for Christ because it it is proof of who we are. We can rejoice when we're persecuted for Christ because of where we are going. Great is your reward in heaven. Folks, let's get it straight. We're not looking for a payday down here. When the world persecutes us, it's just the way the world tells us that we don't belong to it. We belong to another realm. Our citizenship is in heaven. I like what one fellow said, if I seem out of step with the world, it's because I'm marching to a different beat. Are you? Are you worried to death about what the world thinks? You got to look like the world. You got to be cool. Great is our reward in heaven. Great, or great is our reward even here. Great will be our reward in heaven. And then the third thing that can enable us to, 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 to rejoice when we're persecuted is we are associated with the truly great. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If a man is known by the company he keeps, and I'm here to tell you this morning, you're in mighty good company when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, when you suffer for Jesus' sake. What a privilege to fellowship with them as we read together aloud with our congregational scripture reading from Hebrews chapter 11. What a privilege to fellowship with them of whom the world was not worthy. That's God's assessment. The world hated them. The world eschewed them. The world spit at them. The world discounted them. God said the world was not worthy of them. I'm talking about Abel, Moses, Joseph, David, Daniel, Jeremiah. Could I just stop and park there, scratch an itch for a minute? You don't hear many messages on Jeremiah. You want to know why? All he had to say was negative. With very few exceptions. He wrote a whole book called Lamentations. We don't want to lament. When we come to church, we want somebody to scratch us and make us feel good. We don't want to lament about our sins. And so, we're not persecuted for it either, like Jeremiah. Thrown in the mire, almost drowned. Daniel, James, martyred in the New Testament. Stephen, the Apostle Paul, he gives a whole catalog of his sufferings. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that company of whom the world is not worthy. That company constitutes the fellowship of the unashamed. Unashamed of Jesus and His reproach. That title, the Fellowship of the Unashamed, was found on a little piece of paper in the desk of a Zimbabwean pastor who was martyred for his faith more than 100 years ago. We don't even know his name. 
We support missionaries to Zimbabwe. We help national pastors there. There's been a bloodbath there in the past. This is what he said on this note. This little piece of paper found in his desk. I've quoted from it. I haven't quoted it at length. He said, my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done with low living and sight walking and smooth knees, colorless dreams, cheap giving and dwarf goals. I'm done with all that. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I'm not going to flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the enemy. I will not pander in the pool of popularity. I will not meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm not going to give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until He comes. I must give till I drop, preach till all shall know, and work until He stops me. And when He comes to claim His own, He'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. May God give us that kind of a resolve. He wrote that before, obviously before He died, but He did lay down His life for Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how can I rejoice and be exceeding glad when I'm maligned and misrepresented and mistreated because of my love and loyalty to Jesus? Please listen to my answer. You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can do it through you. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 13, it says that when we're called upon to stand before kings and magistrates and we're interrogated because of, of our following the Lord Jesus Christ, take no thought what you shall say. Don't even premeditate. Don't get a prepared speech. Don't take notes. It shall be given you in that hour by the Holy Ghost. Do you think the Holy Spirit can give you love and joy in the face of persecution? That's his fruit, isn't it? According to Galatians chapter 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We're going to have to focus on our dependence on God, the Holy Spirit. In recent days, I've <clears throat> taken out a well-worn volume I had in my library I didn't even know I had. The little short biography of Richard Wormbrand, who was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. If you know anything about Richard Wormbrand, he was imprisoned for his faith as a Lutheran pastor in the country of Romania under the Soviets. Over two different periods for a total of 14 years, he was not released in a prisoner exchange of sorts until 1964. I have a 1969 edition of that Tortured for Christ. They, it has been expanded. It's been uh, abridged, added to. But he tells this story in that book. It moved my heart. A true story. Fresh on his mind. 
He said, under communist rule, a young lady, Maria, a believer, was sent to a concentration camp where she had to perform very taxing slave labor. She befriended a 19-year-old girl, Varia, who was not a Christian to begin with. She was a member of the Communist Youth League. But Varia was struck by the kindness of Maria toward her. They became fast friends, though for some time Varia remained an atheist. In her first letter home, Maria asked her family to pray for Varia that she would come to Christ. And then when she wrote the second letter, she was ecstatic. Varia had accepted Jesus as her own personal Savior. Not just that, she was a bold witness for the Lord there in the concentration camp. Whenever they had a gathering of the communist assembly, uh, she would say something for Jesus. When they were supposed to sing a, the communist hymn, she refused to participate. She came forward after the assembly the first time they had one. She asked their forgiveness, all the people there, she asked their forgiveness for being blind spiritually and leading others to perdition. She implored them to give up the, the way of sin and come to Christ. And it's interesting they were just so struck, they were so caught off guard, they didn't even interrupt her. She finished by singing a Christian hymn in a beautiful voice, something to the effect, and I have no idea what the tune was, but I'm not ashamed to proclaim the Christ who died to defend the power of the cross. And then they took her away. It was a while before Maria saw her again. When she did see Varia, she couldn't believe what she saw. She was pale and thin and emaciated and beaten. Only her eyes shone with the peace of God and an unearthly joy. And Maria asked her friend that she had led to Christ through the iron bars, Varia, do you regret what you did? The answer came back without any hesitation, oh no. And if they would free me, I would go again and tell them about the great love of Jesus. Maria, don't feel sorry for me. I'm glad that the Lord loves me so much that He gives me the joy to endure for His name. And a short time later, Varia was sent to Siberia. Maria got two letters from her, that's all. In the first letter, Varia thanked her friend for showing her the way to salvation. And then she quoted that marvelous verse in Romans chapter 8, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And she answered herself, nobody and nothing, neither prison nor suffering. She said, here, I have to work, and they curse me, and they punish me, and they give me extra work because I don't keep my mouth shut, and I just can't stop telling people what the Lord has done for me. He's made me a new creation. I was on my way to perdition. Can I be silent in the face of this? No, 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 never. As long as my lips can speak, I will witness to everybody about his great love. She found a group of believers at that camp in Siberia. They taught her some new hymns. They celebrated Christmas together. That was her first Christmas as a Christian. And then in the middle of the night, they went out to a frozen river, broke a hole in the ice, Vadria was baptized along with seven others. We're not going to make you do that this morning, Kimberly. The water's nice and warm. In the last letter that Maria received from her daughter in the faith, Vadria thanked her for sending her a Bible, and she closed the letter this way. This is her exact words, verbatim. 
I consider myself to be the happiest person in the world. The persecutions which I have to endure I look upon as a special grace. Please pray for me that I will remain faithful to the Lord to the end. Please don't worry about me or my dear sister in Christ that I have for fellowship here. We are glad. We're joyful. Because our reward in heaven is very great. And then she quoted the verses to our text. Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And she signed it, your varia. She was never heard from again. Oh, we'll see her again. Say, preacher, I'm afraid I couldn't do that. No, you can't. I can't either. But the Holy Spirit through us can. And he will give us the grace to bear up under that persecution right when we need it. You say, well, what can I do right now? All right, two things, and then I'm done. Right now, you need to make sure that when you are persecuted, it's for righteousness' sake. We talked about that. Make sure it's for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. Number two, you need to focus on the reward that awaits you. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Even now, the kingdom is ours. Let's pray. Blessed Father, would you perfect our love for Jesus? We feel so unworthy. We feel like a failure. Oh, strengthen our faith. Increase our joy. May it truly be in Christ and not in circumstances. Lord, search our hearts this morning. May we make sure that we have the faith of God's elect. A faith that will endure to the end. A faith that will stand the test of persecution. As we stand and sing this hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? May that be an honest question we ask ourselves. Are we true followers of the Lamb? And shall we fear to own His cause? Or blush to speak His name? Search our hearts, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.